Today I've entitled the message, Do You Have Eternal Life? Do you have eternal life? The Bible teaches us that God has placed in the heart of every person a desire to live forever. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, He has put eternity into man's heart. God has put eternity into every person's heart. What is eternal life? Eternal life is not just eternal existence because the spirit of every human being ever created is going to exist forever. Eternal life, according to the Bible, is life with God forever and ever in heaven or a new heavens and new earth. The other option is eternal death, which is eternal torment in hell without God, also forever and ever. Some people teach that people will just vanish and you won't be anymore. The Bible teaches that the spirit or the soul of every person is going to exist forever. It's going to exist in eternity with God or eternity without God. And so how to have eternal life is a question of supreme, of utmost importance. And there are two basic ideas that people have, two main ideas about how to have eternal life. The majority of Americans believe that the way to have eternal life is to be a good person. If I'm a good person, then surely I'm going to go to heaven. And of course, heaven is eternal life. Or so, well, heaven is eternal life. But according to God's word, the belief that being good will get you to heaven, that you can get to heaven by doing good things, is not a true understanding of reality. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so this verse tells us that a person is not saved, a person does not receive eternal life by doing good things. People are saved by receiving God's gift of eternal life through Jesus, through faith, and faith alone. And so this second idea of how eternal life is given is in this verse. It's given through faith, through believing in Jesus. But is faith enough to have eternal life? James 2 verse 17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Well, that's confused a lot of people down through the years. Martin Luther wanted to remove the book of James from the Bible because he taught salvation is by faith alone. But as we read the Bible, as we read the book of James, we find that faith and works must go together. If we read the Bible carefully, we can understand this seeming contradiction. We see that good works are the evidence of a genuine faith. Good works are the evidence of a genuine faith. And so true faith will always lead to good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And so this verse tells us that when we were created in Christ Jesus, when we are saved, that our purpose in life is to do good works. To do good works that glorify God. If someone claims to have a Christian, claims to be a Christian, they claim to have faith, but there is no evidence or no, no fruit of good works in their life, then there is reason to doubt that person has eternal life. And so good works, therefore, are a test of whether someone's faith is genuine. And of course, we all know there are bad works, right? Someone claims to be a Christian and they're doing a lot of things that are not good works, that are sinful. That leads us to question whether that faith is real, whether that faith is reality or genuine. So today we're going to look at how Jesus answered the question that someone posed to him. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus' answer will bring together these two aspects of faith as it relates to God. Talk about the aspect of good works as it relates to other people and the aspect of faith as it relates to God. And so it will help us answer the question for ourselves, do I have eternal life? And it will help us to discern whether those around us have eternal life as well. So the first thing that Jesus is going to teach us is the importance of loving God and our neighbor. Our story begins in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? The term lawyer here means a, a Jewish expert in the law, which was the Old Testament. And he asked a very important question. He asked, what must I do to inherit or to have eternal life? And as Jesus often does, he answers this question with a question of his own. He asks him, asks the lawyer, what does the Bible say? You have a question, what does the Bible say? The answer to all our questions of importance are found in God's word. And so the lawyer answered Jesus in verse 27. He answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer combined two Old Testament scriptures Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 commands us to love God with everything we have, with our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. To love God is to put your faith in Him. Let me say that again. To love God is to put your faith in Him. You see, faith is not just believing that God or Jesus exists. Some people think, you know, I believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe He lived. He said some good things. Faith is a lot more than simply believing that God or Jesus exists. Faith has to do with loving God. And it's critically important that we put loving God first in our lives. Everything else stems from loving God, making Him first and foremost in our life. The second part of the lawyer's answer is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says there that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. You must love yourself. 
as someone created and loved by God, as someone created in God's image. And in the same way, we must love others as people created by God in God's image. We are to love others just as we love ourselves. So that was the answer of the lawyer to Jesus. Jesus replied and said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In other words, have eternal life. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus acknowledged that the lawyer had given him the proper answer to the question of how to have eternal life. The proper answer is to love God and show your love to God by loving your neighbor. And so the lawyer then asked Jesus the second question, and who is my neighbor? Now as we read this verse carefully, we see that this was not a good question. It says that the lawyer was desiring to justify himself. He was desire, desiring to justify his actions. He was trying to limit his options of who his neighbor, neighbors were so that he could fulfill that command without really going out of his way. As we go through the account today, we'll see that Jesus never directly answers this second question of the lawyer. Jesus wanted to help him and to help us answer an even more important question. And so to have eternal life, one must love God and his neighbor. Now, when we think about it for ourselves, we might have the same qualms about loving our neighbor as ourselves that the lawyer had. If we're really honest, most of us love ourselves quite a lot. We take care of ourselves. We do nice things for ourselves. We try to avoid harm. We try to bring pleasure into our lives. And so to love our neighbors as ourselves, <clears throat> that's, that's a pretty tough all order, isn't it? Because we love ourselves quite a lot. And do I really want to love and treat my neighbor the same way I treat myself? And it's an especially tall order if we have a lot of neighbors. <clears throat> so if we could eliminate some of our neighbors, it would, it would make life easier. And that's what the lawyer was trying to do. But we're, we're going to learn that judging who is and who isn't our neighbor is the wrong question. When we truly love God, he's going to help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we're going to learn more about how to do that as Jesus illustrates the principle with a well-known story. Jesus is first going to tell us how not to be a neighbor. Verse 30, Jesus replied with this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem was a, a steep descent of about 19 miles through a desolate, rocky area. And as such, it was a prime location for bandits and robbers to hide to rob unsuspecting travelers. The robbers attacked this man, they stole his belongings, they beat him, left him nearly, nearly dead. And this man would probably not survive if somebody didn't come to help him. He could no longer walk, he was helpless. The road was well-traveled, and I'm sure the man was looking 
for the next traveler to come by so he could get some help. And a traveler came by. Verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, that is the wounded man, he passed by on the other side. So it seemed like this injured man was either lying right on the road or close to the road, so anyone passing by could see him and see his situation. And so a priest from Jerusalem was the first traveler who passed this injured man lying there. He saw him there. But rather than getting involved, he altered his path to go to the other side of the road and quickly walk by. Now the listeners of Jesus and us today would have expected a priest in the temple to have some compassion, to have some care for this wounded man. But he pointedly ignored him. Why? Well, we don't know. Perhaps he was late for an appointment at the temple. Maybe he was afraid that robbers were still lurking around and they might jump on him if he got too close to this guy. Or maybe he wasn't sure if the man was dead or not and you know, if you touched a dead body, you were considered unclean and had to go through all kinds of things. So maybe he didn't want to get too close to the man. Well, another traveler passed by, verse 32, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, the injured man, passed by on the other side. And so this next traveler was a Levite. A Levite was a helper to the priests in the temple. He had a lower rank than the priest, but of course Jesus' listeners would have expected a Levite, a godly man, a God-fearing man, to help this poor guy lying there uh, bleeding and wounded. And yet the Levite's response was the same as the priest. He saw the man, he moved to the other side of the road, and quickly passed by. Now surely the priest and the Levite knew the same thing the lawyer did. They knew that they were supposed to love their neighbor as themselves. Now if they thought about if they were lying on the road, beaten, bleeding, half dead, would they have wanted somebody to help them out? Oh, surely. And yet they did not see this injured man as their neighbor whom they must love. And so these are two examples of how not to be a neighbor. And as we think about it for ourselves today, it's easy not to be a neighbor, isn't it? Just pass by on the other side of the road. It's not my responsibility. I didn't beat the man up. I have things to do. And yet God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. You say, Pastor Dan, I mean, I can't meet all the needs in the world. There's just too many needs all around us. Jesus calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. To love our neighbors is going to cost us. It's going to cost us some time. It's going to cost us some concern. It's going to cost us some resources. In other words, loving our neighbors is going to cost us something. And yet for those who truly love God, He provides for us. He provides what we need to love our neighbors and not pass by on the other side of the road. So Jesus continues this story now with telling us how to be a neighbor with another example beginning in verse 33. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, this injured man, and when he saw him, 
he had compassion. So now Jesus introduces us to the third person who traveled past this injured man or by the injured man. Most likely the injured man was a Jew. And the traveler was a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans basically hated one another. They'd fought in the past. Their religions were different. They didn't like one another. They tried to avoid one another. If someone would have expected would have been expected by Jesus' listeners to pass by this Jewish man, it would certainly have been the Samaritan. But the first thing that we see about the Samaritan as he went past this injured man was different than the priest and the Levite. He saw him just the same, but he had compassion. He had compassion on the man. And that is the same word that's used in the gospel to describe how Jesus felt towards people who were sick people who needed help. He had compassion on people who were lost, on people who were injured, on people who were ill. And that compassion motivated this Samaritan not to pass the man by, as the priest and Levite had done, but to go over to him. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so the Samaritan treated the man's wounds, wrapped him up so he stopped bleeding. He obviously had some supplies he was carrying. The man was still not able to walk, and so the Samaritan got off his donkey, placed this wounded man on the donkey, walked alongside, and took him to an inn to stay the night. At the end, the Samaritan continued to care for the man, and as he had to leave, he paid the innkeeper some money to pay for the man's stay and said, anything more, put it on my tab. When I come back, I will take care of it. And so helping the injured man cost the Samaritan. It cost him time. It cost him having to walk and not ride his donkey anymore. It cost him some money. To put him up in the end, it was costly. And yet he did it out of compassion. Which is part of love, isn't it? Jesus then asked the Samaritan, or asked the lawyer, sorry, the, the lawyer, a question of his own. He said, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And so Jesus changed the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, to a more appropriate, more important question that focused on the responsibility of the lawyer. Jesus asked, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the injured man? So rather than trying to fi figure out who was his neighbor, this lawyer needed to consider if he was being a neighbor. And what does being a neighbor look like? Well, it looks like being like this Samaritan, having compassion on someone in need. Paying the cost that it takes to help and show mercy. 
And Jesus concluded his discussion with, this, with the lawyer and said, you go and do likewise. You want to have eternal life? You go and do likewise. In other words, have compassion on those in need around you and show them love. Your neighbor is anyone around you who has a need. That's how to be a neighbor. So how do we be a neighbor and love our neighbors as ourselves today? St. Louis 2022. Well, first of all, we need to discard the thought, which comes to me sometimes. I'm sure it comes to you. There are so many needs that we can't possibly meet out all these needs. So why should we even try? Has anybody ever thought that before? Well, in the story, there was a need, but there was no one else there to help. We might draw the conclusion if the Samaritan hadn't helped, the man probably would have died. God will show you needs where you are the one he calls to help. It's true, you can't meet all the needs in the world today. You can't meet all the needs in St. Louis. You can't meet all the needs in Baldwin. But God will show you the needs where you are the one he calls to help. And so, what do we need to have for the needs around us that God shows to us? We need to have this compassion. We need to care. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. What kind of needs are those in people around us? Well, there might be a need for physical healing. What can we do? We can pray. There might be a need for spiritual healing. What can we do? We can share the gospel. The need might be for resources to live on. I mean, we could go on and on and on. There's all kinds of needs that people have around us. Now, each of us has a responsibility for our immediate families. That's true. This story challenges us to go beyond our families. And sometimes beyond even the people we know. This injured man was a complete stranger to the Samaritan. To actually show Christ's love to those we know, of course to our families, to those we don't know. Strangers that God may bring into our path. Now one of the ways that we show God's compassion as we give to missions, we are being a neighbor to lost people around the world. We can't go to every country in the world. We cannot share the gospel to people on the other side of the world directly, but we make it possible for missionaries to be Jesus' hands and feet through our giving. It's one way. Not the only way, but one way to be a neighbor. God challenges us today to be neighbors to those in need. And so to have eternal life, we must love God with everything that we have, everything we are. And as we love him, he blesses us so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. So that we can be a neighbor to those in need. So that we can have compassion. And as we have compassion on our neighbor, as we have compassion on others, as we, for whatever their needs might be, physical, spiritual, that is evidence that we indeed do have eternal life. We're loving God and we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
as we help meet the needs of others, it opens a door for the gospel to be presented, the greatest need that people have. Meeting physical needs, either through natural resources or supernatural healing, often makes people more receptive to hearing the gospel, to believing in Jesus. We saw this in the ministry of Jesus. We see it in the ministry of his disciples. And so as we show our love for the lost, as we have compassion on the needs of people around us, God will use that to bring more and more people into his kingdom and receive eternal life. The first step to having eternal life is to love God, to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to repent of your sin, to believe in Jesus Christ, died on the cross to forgive your sin, believe that he rose from the dead and submit your life to following him as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. I encourage you to pray along with me if you've never prayed this before or perhaps you'd like to recommit your life as we pray together this morning. So pray something like this. Father, today, I repent of all the sin in my life, of all the things that I've done for myself and not for you. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. He paid the penalty for my sin and he rose from the dead. Forgive my sins, come into my life. I commit myself to you. I submit my life to following you as my Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for teaching us more about how to have eternal life by loving you, putting our faith and trust in you, and showing that love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Forgive us for the times when we've excused ourselves from helping someone in need. Help us to have a heart of compassion for the needs around us. Help us to see needs as an opportunities for you to show your love through us. Help us to see needs as opportunities for miracles to happen. May we never shy away from a need, but ask you how you can work through us to meet that need. Forgive us for the times when we have not been neighbors, when we've passed by on the other side of the road. Help us to hear from you when you bring a need into our lives from someone else that needs your love. Help us not to think about who is our neighbor. Help us to think about how can I be a neighbor to those who need your touch. How can I be your hands and your feet in the world? Help me to think about if you were here, what would you do and help me to do the same? Thank you that 
The same spirit that worked in and through Jesus can work in and through me. And give me the power and the resources to meet the needs that you bring into my life. Thank you for teaching us this morning. Give us opportunities this coming week and in the days ahead to be neighbors and to share your love with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to have a brief time for healing prayer. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus teaches a, a lot of lessons. Here's one verse about it, about the importance of perseverance in prayer. Not just praying once, continuing to pray until the answer comes. And so we want to pray today for physical needs among the people here this morning, the people listening online, the people we're aware of in our lives, in our church family uh, that are struggling with. So I'm going to ask you if you have a need, if you have a need in your life, if you know someone that's on your heart to pray for, specifically for some type of healing, I'd like to encourage you to raise your hands with me. We're going to call on God together for God to meet those needs. Father, according to your word, we want to call on you for healing, God. We pray for physical healing for those that need your touch. We pray for physical healing for those who are suffering from shingles, God, in Jesus' name. May they be completely healed. May the blisters heal and the pain go away. We pray, God, for complete healing of cancer in Jesus' name. We pray for complete remission in the name of Jesus. We pray for those who are dealing with nerve issues from the spine. Or the lower back. We pray God in Jesus name that you would heal. Bring healing and relief to those pain. Father we pray for those who. Have any types of wounds on their head. That is not healing God. Whatever is the cause of it. We pray for a complete healing. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, God, that you're a God who heals. We pray for those who do not know you, God, that we know. We pray, God, for your spirit to convict their hearts of sin, that they would repent and turn to you. Give us the words to say, to be a witness for you. Bring them into your kingdom, God. We pray in Jesus' name. We pray for those who are suffering from mental illnesses, God. Those who are suffering from depression, God. And don't want to go out of their house. God, we pray that you would break that hold on their life, God. That you would encourage them. That you would help them to draw closer to you. And break the bondage of depression in their life. We thank you that you're a God who heals and we 
agree together with all these prayer requests. In the name of Jesus, amen.